it's like, oh, the day my baby turns four months, they're not going to sleep anymore because everything changes. And that's totally not the case. Like starting at six weeks, the baby starts making their own melatonin where before they just were having it from the mom. With people when we talk about birth experiences, they might be minimizing their trauma because we've been taught intergenerationally that this is just how it is. Oh yeah, like the doctor made that decision, didn't talk to you about it, of course. Or, oh yeah, you know, they used an implement that was extremely painful for you and uh, often unnecessary. That's just what they had to do, right? There's a normalization of trauma doesn't mean that it's any less traumatic. And everything would just get solved with birth control pills, but I kept feeling like this is counterproductive. Right. Grandmother, my great grandmother had 10 kids. Mm. My paternal grandmother had nine. So in my head, I'm thinking, you know, this, this is black people don't have this issue. I've mm. never heard of black people having this issue. Hey, welcome to the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I'm a licensed professional counselor here in Atlanta, Georgia, where I own a group practice where we specialize in women's issues, maternal mental health, and all things wellness. Here on the podcast, we're going to be talking about parenthood, how to take care of yourself, and a little bit of in-between things. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a quick chat with me. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Aya Paper Co. is a sustainable stationary brand that creates greeting cards and gifts to celebrate the people and moments that matter most. When founder and creative director Savon Anderson began conceptualizing plans for Aya, the well-being of the earth was the front of mind. As an advocate for environmental justice, she wanted to ensure that Aya Paper Co. didn't perpetuate issues like climate change and pollution, which disproportionately impact communities of color. Savon founded the company in 2019 while she was working full-time as a graphic designer at a NYC Contemporary Art Museum. As the creative director, Savon prioritizes creating high-quality, sustainable products that represent the diverse Black experience. Head over to ayapaper.co, that's A-Y-A, paper.co, to pick out your greeting cards and all stationary needs. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. As always, I always like to do a catch-up episode before we start our next season, and we're about to kick off season five, I believe. And, you know, before we do any of our new seasons, I always take a bit of a break just to kind of revamp. And it's interesting because every time I take a break, I'm always like, do I want to continue the podcast? Is the podcast impactful? Are people listening? And then I go to my SoundCloud account and then I see how many downloads and listens and shares that there has been. And then that reinforces me to keep going because apparently there's people who are out there that I don't even know <laughs> that continue to listen to the show. And I am so grateful for the growth in which the podcast has made over the past few years in which I've been doing this. I think I started it is it 2020 or 2021? So it's been a good three years that I've been recording and I hope that it's getting a bit better and better as I grow. And I'm hopeful that by the end of the year, I can create some more opportunities for the podcast because it's interesting when I listen to some people who have heard an episode or two and they'll say, yeah, that pelvic floor episode, I booked an appointment or after listening to 
the sleep training episode, I reached out to a sleep consultant and got help with my baby and didn't have to suffer from sleep deprivation anymore. Or even just our episodes when I talk about um, a little bit of anything in between, when we talk about pop culture, we talk about women's empowerment or um, sitting in your greatness or all of that and how that can inspire folks that are listening. So thank you for listening. Um, well, to catch you up in what's been going on, because I think the last episode with Amanda went up in April, I believe. And I have my list. Um, first, I want to honor Tina Turner. Okay. Anybody who knows me knows that I am a huge Tina Turner fan. Like before there was Beyonce, before there was Janet Jackson, there was Tina Turner. And I fell in love with Tina prior to her music. And I think this is the kind of like relatable for several people within the black community. It's when watching, or at least from my generation, I should say, because my parents were exposed to her music prior to the movie. But when watching What's Love Got to Do With It, and just listening to the music from the movie, I was immediately in love. And about me and the work that I do, perseverance is something that is so interesting for me. And how people have the ability to persevere, how they are able to navigate challenges. And I know that we're all exposed to various types of traumas and difficulties, peaks and valleys in our lives but it's all about how we maneuver around them in order to reach our highest potential or to be able to find success or happiness or whatever the goal may be. And I think it's a huge part of why I do the work that I do. And so knowing all of where she came from, all of what she's been through and all of what she was able to accomplish was hugely hugely inspiring to me. And I also think like the biggest thing that inspired me about Tina amongst many things was how she had the courage to leave an abusive marriage in which she was in for several years. I didn't even know it wasn't until I actually watched the Tina Turner documentary that was on HBO a few years back that I didn't know that they had been together for like 14 years. For some reason I had thought like, oh, maybe it was like eight years, but it was a good bit. And she had the courage to leave versus staying because, you know, this was kind of sometimes like when people are in a traumatic situation and they've been gas lighted, they've been, you know, taken to the turmoil of it all. They figure out a way to adjust in the chaos. And although the chaos is uncomfortable, they find a way to make it comfortable for them. And that's oftentimes why people don't leave abusive relationships, rather it's verbal or physical or emotionally abusive. And that's how generational traumas tend to repeat themselves because people only know environments or situations like this. Even though it's difficult and it's hard, this is all that they know and anything different than that can feel uncomfortable for them. So the fact that it had been that long, but she still left, she still wanted something better for herself. That was number one. Number two was that she was willing to give it all up, but her name and being strategic in her last name of figuring out how to rebuild from what she left behind and having the hopes and dreams of being as big as the Rolling Stones and being able to fill stadiums 
and arenas with Mick Jagger numbers, you know, like the amount of people that would come and see a Rolling Stones concert. And this is for a black woman that's in her 40s who has had children, who has been married and divorced, and who's only saying rhythm and blues before. But what's so also just intriguing and fascinating about her is, and I think that this is kind of like the epitome to me about blackness, of how it can be transformed, it can be changed. There's this finesse to it of how art can be expressed in so many ways that we are not limited to a box. Um, We aren't to be categorized, um, that we can put our own spin on anything. And she can sing rhythm and blues. She can do um, a song with an orchestra playing in the background. She can do rock and roll. She can do anything. She can be in a Mad Max movie out in the desert with Mel Gibson and make it look fly and sexy. Like whatever she touches, she can make it look good. She can redo Proud Mary to where you can forget who originally sang the song because she did it so well. And I loved her for that. And I remember when I watched the documentary, when it first came out, like I had a countdown on my calendar of when the documentary was going to come out. And at the end of it, because what's love got to do with it puts more of an emphasis on her beginnings and her marriage and the turmoil of it. And it only briefly shows the success. And I think the documentary does do that similarly, but it spends more time on her later life or when she really became Tina. And to see how the venues were sold out and she was internationally known. And I mean, it was like a sea of people at her shows. I was, I always remember being just in tears of just happiness for her. And it was just such a reminder of to never give up and to really truly bet on yourself when no one else is betting on you and all else is failing, when people have their doubts you keep at it. And I, I throw this quote out all the time about Oprah Winfrey's quote of there is no such thing as luck. There's hard work meeting opportunity and you continuing to do what you do, like continuing to focus on your lane and, and, and finessing and refining your craft and staying at it consistent and disciplined. And then you will meet the opportunity and you will be ready when the opportunity happens. And that happened for her. And it it also reminded me of like Cheryl Lee Ralph and how she finally got her flowers last year with all of her awards and being recognized and being elevated after Abbott Elementary and how she may have had moments of thinking like, gosh, well, will this ever pay off? Will I ever be someone that's known? I'm, I'm an older actress. And it happened. And she's deemed as like Hollywood royalty. I love that about so many women's stories, especially about Tina Turner's story. And Tina's challenges didn't just end once she became a queen of rock and roll. You know, she has battled health issues. She's lost two children. Um, She even had a second book to come out later in her life 
where she had almost considered having assisted suicide because she had a terminal illness at one point that was she was diagnosed with. And she opted to seek treatment and she got a organ um, donation from her husband and was able to live even longer. And dying in her 80s, you know, although it was such a significant loss, she lived a very full life. And I was on this work retreat um, with a friend of mine, Damaris, who's going to be a guest on the show later in this season. And I was talking to her about how I also find it fascinating how people can live so many different lives throughout their life journey. And sometimes I'll look and I'll think like, gosh, has my life been very linear where I've gone to school, I majored in psychology, I went to grad school, I majored in counseling and psychology, I started working in the field, I did community counseling, and I got married and I had children and I opened a practice. You know, very linear. I haven't really, you know, been anywhere, done anything that is just outside of the box. And and I'm not saying that as if it's a bad thing because I'm grateful for my life. Very, very grateful. But I also think that it is inspiring when I see people who have had many lives, like Tina, you know, one of my best friends was once a flight attendant and was once a school teacher, and now she's a stay-at-home mom. And those are different lives in which she's lived. Um, I've also known someone once who um, worked for the Peace Corps and was momentarily working at the Capitol in D.C., And now they have started a farm (laughs) and it's just, just different lives in different places and may have lived abroad at, you know, a portion of their lives. I think that that's, that's amazing. And recently within this time off before this new season, I experienced um, a couple of losses in my family and I consider Tina also a loss in my family. And with the combination of those, you know, as we get older, we often start to think about mortality and life and its meaning and fulfillment and gratitude and reflection. And I've also thought about how as you get older, there's the concept of counting up, but then there's also the the thoughts of counting down. And what do you want this second chapter or this next quarter to look like? How do you want to find fulfillment? How do you want to really live at your fullest? How do you want to have experiences and not take things for granted? And I'm going to link a couple of things that I'm going to mention in today's podcast and the show notes. But I listened to this episode on the Goop podcast that was featuring Dr. Atiyah. And I've talked about this with my friends. I even talked about this with my husband's best friend. But he was talking about longevity and how to create that for yourself as much as you can within your control. Because life, life sometimes and things just come out of nowhere, no matter how healthy or practical or logical you can be. But he spoke heavily on making sure you get eight hours of sleep and that concept in entrepreneurial world of I'll sleep when I die is not healthy for you because you will die sooner because health health and and sleep are essential to longevity 
And we need eight hours. And and I've talked about this with my own postpartum story about how we can take for granted how important sleep is and sleep hygiene and sleep deprivation can impact your mental health, your ability to make decisions, your ability to drive. Um, and it can aid you and impact your your um, blood pressure in other areas of your life. So that being able to move your body on a daily basis, being able to eat healthy and clean, maybe not always, but at least 80% of the time. And I've really taken those things into consideration. I've consulted with a personal trainer. I have taken a Pilates class since we've been on this hiatus. Um, I've been moving my body daily. I meditate every night before I go to bed and I meditate every morning before I start my day. I journal, if not every other day, at least a few times a week. I reflect on things that have been a challenge for me as well as things that I'm grateful for, things that have been highlights so that I can do a mind dump. I make sure I'm always doing deep breathing daily and I try to find something to look forward to every day and always being mindful of my anxiety and my worries, what are the root of them and being able to talk myself through them. That's how I'm managing my health. But I say all of that to say, RIP Tina, you are simply the best. You are an inspiration to many of us, especially to me. And she is and will always be missed. And, and I'm very grateful that we were able to be gifted her during our generation. And her music will live on. And, and I read this article that said that off of streamings, Tina made $33 million a year just for people streaming her music off of Spotify. So that's just separate from merchandise that's sold or books purchased or her image or um, royalties, publishing, copyright deals, all of that. Aside from that, just from people streaming her music on Spotify and Apple Music and Tidal, she made $33 million a year. <laughs> that's amazing. That is, that, that is what I call passive income. All right, so next topic is I read two books in the past two weeks. Um, I was out of town last week, so I totally demolished one of the books. It was called The Yellow Wife, and a friend of mine had recommended it because she was reading it for her book club, and she had told me that it was a hard read. So I was like, okay, I ordered it. And a lot of the times for Amazon, I'll order books and I may not get to it immediately, but I know I'll find my way to circle back around. But it's by Shadeka or Sadiqua. I'm not sure. And I hate to butcher her name because she's an amazing writer. But we'll say it's Shadeka Johnson. Um, and when I tell you it was a page turner, I finished the book in three days. It was so intriguing. And yes, it is a hard read for sure. Um, just to read you a little bit of a snippet of the synopsis. The Yellow Wife is a heroine tell of the life of an enslaved woman in Virginia beginning in the 1850s. A challenging read, but beautifully told. It's a thought-provoking page turner. And is also surprisingly uplifting. 
So the main character is a fictional character, but the story is actually based off of someone um, who actually existed. Her name was Phoebe Dolores Brown in the book, but the real life figure is Mary Lumpkin, the enslaved concubine of Robert Lumpkin. And Robert Lumpkin was a notorious white slave trader who owned and managed the aptly dubbed Devil's Half Acre, which was a real place in Virginia. It was um, a holding jail for anyone who was enslaved that slave owners wanted to send away, who maybe got captured when they ran away, or it was a holding place before enslaved folks were sold. Um, So obviously, just based off of that, you can tell it was a hard read for sure. And it was a very complex story that was super complicated to really like understand um, as far as like being able to just really grasp the depths of psychological turmoil in which these characters of enslaved people had to go through at this time. But it was written so well. And I highly, highly recommend it. And if anyone listening to this has read it, please email me so we can talk about it because I don't know anyone um, who has read it besides the person that recommended it to me. Um, And I would just love to know anyone else's insights and thoughts about it because it was, like I said, it was just such a good, well-told story. The other book that I read was Wildflower, which is a memoir. And I'm reading a lot of memoirs because I've been working on mine for the past couple of years. But this is by Aurora James. Aurora James is a designer of shoes. She makes these, um, well, she's the designer of these handcrafted shoes by artisans that are in Africa. They're called Brother Thelis. I think I'm pronouncing that right. She's based off of New York. I first learned about Aurora back in 2015 um, when me and my husband were very poor. He was studying for his board exams and we didn't have cable. We just had Amazon Prime and there was the Vogue Fashion Fun reality show and she was a she was one of the contestants and I instantly fell in love with her and her story and her work and those shoes were just beautiful. And so I've been following her ever since and then during the pandemic she started this nonprofit called the 15% Pledge where she challenges big corporations and companies to make shelf space. Um, 15% of their shelf space can go to a Black-owned business. And since then, it has boomed, the business has. And she's worked with Nordstrom's and Bloomingdale's and Vogue, um, J. Crew, just tons of different um, companies to put Black-owned businesses front and center in their stores and their e-commerce businesses. So I finished the book. It was very, very good. And she's actually going to be in Atlanta um, next week, Thursday. I don't know when this podcast episode will go live. So it may, (laughs) you may hear this after I have attended. So I'll tell you about how it was during the next show. Um, But she is going to be speaking about fashion with Zendaya's stylist. What is this? What is this person's name? Because I 
absolutely love Zendaya. I think she is stunning and her stylist has her snatched like constantly. Like I've never seen her. I'm on Instagram right now trying to pull this up. I've never seen her in anything that was just not above and beyond. Like just does such an amazing name. I cannot find, is it on here? La Roach. Yes, La Roach. So it'll be Aurora James and La Roach. So you know I had to get that ticket <laughs> just to go see them. And, and I don't even know what I'm going to wear. Um, but I am glad that I can bring my book in hand and get to see the both of them in person. So that book I highly recommend. It talks about her beginnings. It talks about race. She's biracial, um, being raised by her white family. Um, presenting as a black girl and not quite fitting into who people wanted her to be and her finding her way and also being a black female owned entrepreneur and the challenges that she faced um, with trying to really serve the population of people who wanted something that was created by black artisans. So highly recommend. Um, the next thing after that, there's two shows that I had watched. One was a show, one's a movie. And I've shared with you guys before that I am a mother of two boys. And my oldest, Ezra and I, will do a date quarterly where we'll either go out to breakfast or lunch or we'll do some sort of activity together. And so I took him to see the new Spider-Man. We saw the first one. When, oh my gosh, was he like two or three? Um, Miles Morales, we watched it at home. So when this one was coming out, um, I was like, I knew we had to go see it at the theater. And this movie is incredible, okay? So when the first one came out, it was Oscar nominated, racked in tons of awards. And when this one came out, I just, I just didn't think it could top the first one. This was like better than all Marvel movies I've ever watched. This was better than any Iron Man's, any Guardians of the Galaxies. It was so good and it was so BIPOC. Like there was such a diverse list of characters um, from their abilities to their cultural backgrounds to their ethnicities. It was just, it was beautiful to watch. It was so beautifully drawn the animation was exceptional and i am a fan of graphic novels and of anime and it was just so well done and what i loved about it taking a brown boy to a film like this was oftentimes miles is put in this position where he has this unique power that he's trying to figure out how to control but he's also surrounded by those who doubt him don't believe in him and are trying to repress him and kind of have him be put away. And he believes in himself and he fights through it and he shows the world just how more than capable he is and how he, in the second one, not to spoil it, but how he's an anomaly. And this is like what they call him. He's an anomaly, but him being an anomaly is what makes him the best. And it like I was like tearful at the end of the film. Like I came home hyped up like this was 
well written. The music, the soundtrack's always on point, so well drawn, and it was just so beautifully crafted. I cannot praise it enough, and I cannot tell enough people, even if you don't even have children, even if you aren't into comic books, to go watch this because it, it is so well done. The next thing is American Born Chinese. Ezra and I watched this on Disney Plus. And it, I was something I was totally unexpected. So I've always, like I said, loved anime growing up. I was the Sailor Moon Dragon Ball Z <laughs> kid and would draw anime. And even when I got older, loved Crunchy Tiger, Hidden Dragon, um, just anything of that nature. Like I just, I love all of the films, all of anime. And um, so... Ezra's really into like Power Rangers and Bakugan and um, what is the other one where he's always like let it rip? Uh, what is it called? I can't think of it, but Pokemon, all of that stuff is his jam. So I was like, oh, well, this is something we could watch together and had no idea what was it even about. Um, I just knew some of the actors and the trailer looked kind of cool. And it was this coming of age story about this boy. Okay, another another story about a boy. We, we can watch it. We binged that show in like a matter of days. And it was so good. <laughs> like for like another one. Like it was like, oh my gosh, I'm on the, this roll. So with American Born Chinese, it's like three stories in a story. And there's this kind of like a folktale story that's the overarching theme of the show. And then there's this present day story of this teenage boy who is Chinese and his parents were immigrants and he is in a predominantly white environment and in school. And he is in some ways attempting to assimilate and not really embrace his own cultural background or see the worth. You see the similarities between this and Spider-Man. Um, see the worth that he has within himself. And then the other story that's under that, which I thought was like genius. Um, if you guys ever watched this John Hughes movie called 16 Candles, and there was a Chinese character, I think his name was Wong? I can't, I can't. He was an exchange student on the movie totally racist okay the whole movie is just racist to people of color but I digress um so he's playing this the actor is playing this role of this negative stereotype of an, an Asian exchange student that same actor played a similar role in this film and he was playing the role of a television character that was set in like the early 90s. Like a, it gives you like a full house vibe. Whereas this negative, stereotypical Asian immigrant character. And it shows at the end how, how society can view or also be very silent of embracing other people's cultures and not making space for television or anywhere to show others of color and specifically of Asian Americans for this show. 
And the person who paid the character had kind of like a reunion of the show at the end without me giving too many details, but spoke about how his goal or desire was for young kids that look like him can see themselves as a hero and not how society wants to depict them to be, which is in a negative light. But for them to see themselves as something that's positive and amazing and if if anything that they want to be but not in this box of what society or America thinks they should be. Such a good message. And I afterwards, I listened to this New York Times podcast episode about American-born Chinese and how it was risky for it to be made. And initially, it was actually supposed to go on FX, and they were going to make it similar in filming of the show Atlanta, uh, which would have kind of targeted more of an adult audience, but Disney had the budget and it could reach more people if a younger demographic could take to it because it's based off of a an adult graphic novel or a graphic novel just in general. And they did an amazing job. And it's a series, so the way that the last episode left off is that they're gonna be a season two, which I'm super excited. And I hope there is an actual season two because Moon Knight made it seem like there's gonna be another season and I've read that there won't be. So I highly recommend both of those. I think that they will be great. Those are pretty much my catch-ups. Um, things going on with Push Through. Um, the group practice has grown. Um, we're up to eight clinicians now. So if you or anyone that you know are looking for any therapy services and live and reside in the state of Georgia, please head over to KeishaReeves.com and schedule yourself a consultation with our intake coordinator, Janice Jones, and she will match you with a clinically appropriate clinician that will be able to help you with any needs or anything that you would like to work on. So super proud of the business. It's doing very well. And anything else that's coming up? I know we have another mindfulness hike in October. I'll tell you about that as it gets closer. There's going to be another networking event in September. Um, Other than that, I have just been trying to take care of my wellness, um, be a really present parent, enjoy my kids, stay grateful. And I'm really looking forward to season five. I know I say this every season, but there are some serious heavy hitters coming on and some amazing conversations that will be had. And I can't wait for you to listen. And being that listens have grown, please shoot me an email at Keisha at KeishaReeves.com or head over to our Instagram at PushThroughMom and DM me, message me, let me know what you think. If you have any questions, comments, if you've watched Spider-Man or American Born Chinese, or if you read any of the books, please engage. I would love to hear from you. Or if you have any show ideas, I would run and recommend anyone to be a guest on the show or topics for me to talk about. I have decided that I did want to do a couple of solo shows because there have been a couple of things that I did want to talk about. One being Nikki Floyd. Nikki Floyd was a state coordinator for Postpartum Support International. And if you know anything about me, I was a board member of Postpartum Support International um, for about three years. I was over the training committee and I 
facilitated trainings throughout the state of Georgia to providers to teach them about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, signs and symptoms, and how to screen and refer. Nikki was a state coordinator. She lived in Savannah, Georgia, and unfortunately, she passed away in May of this year. And she passed away giving birth to her second baby. Super, super sad. Um, I am so torn up for the family. When I heard about her story, I was just just overwhelmed with various types of emotions, um, sadness, anger, frustration, um, and then also wanting to become active more than what I am now to figure out what can be done. Because literally over the past month, every single week, I have read a story about a black mother, rather not in the state of Georgia or just in the United States that have lost their life during pregnancy, during giving birth, or immediately after giving birth. And it's disheartening, it's tragic, and more often than not, it doesn't have to be that way. And I'm also going to leave the link to Nikki's GoFundMe account, um, her link in the show notes if anyone wants to donate money to her family or just read about her story and being able to share the message. Because the mortality rate for Black mothers in the state of Georgia is astounding and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better. And with our government officials, with segregation, discrimination, all of the things, it is tragic to say the least. Um, So that's been something that has been sitting on my heart and I'm currently working on a couple of things. And once those get tied up and become into fruition, I will definitely keep you posted. But stay tuned for our next episode. Follow, share, and like, comment on um, giving us any type of ratings on wherever you listen to this podcast at. And I will see you next time. And until then, keep on pushing. Yeah,